welcome to Your Career Podcast. If you're looking for inspiration in your career or job search, you're at the right place. I'm Jane Jackson, your career management coach and author of Navigating Career Crossroads. For more career advice and support, go to janejacksoncoach.com and find all you need to create the career of your dreams. This is Colin Gray from thepodcasthost.com and you're listening to Jane Jackson Careers. Well, hello and welcome back to my careers podcast where I interview fascinating professionals who've made amazing career changes. Now, today I'm really lucky to have with me Paul Darby, who is the Managing Director at Accountability Recruitment. And he's going to tell us all about recruitment, how to work with recruiters, and also his really interesting career journey too. So Paul is a graduate of the University of Hull. And he began his professional career in Paris, working as an English teacher in a French secondary school before transitioning into finance with an American financial services company. He then relocated to their European head office in London, where he worked for six years until 2004. And Paul first joined accountability in 2005 and led teams across Australia, recruiting both accounting support and business support roles until the end of 2010. Now, because he's got this great passion for the accountability brand, we saw him return to the business as managing director for accountability in early 2013. So he's had quite an eclectic career journey and now leading this amazing group of people at accountability, which is where uh, we first met because I did a talk at accountability recently. I thought I must speak to Paul and find out about his career journey. So welcome, Paul. Thank you, Jane. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you here. And thank you for inviting me to your offices as well. So it's going to be interesting hearing all about your career changes, how you felt about the transition, and then really the nitty-gritty is to the best way to work with recruiters. So how about, to kick us off, just tell me about your early days. When you were a little boy and teenager, what sort of career aspirations did you have? Oh, gosh. Um, When I was a small child growing up in the the Midlands in the UK, I was probably a bit of a frustrated performer and I had visions of me being on TV or acting or dancing or singing or doing something but everyone had their eyes on me. Um, Sadly, I didn't have any of the required talent for that and I, with a a school teacher as a father, was encouraged to uh, pursue a more academic line of study. I pursued um, my studies at school Mm -hmm. and decided to go and do a uh, French degree in uh, the northeast of England, largely motivated at that stage by the desire to go and live and work overseas. Uh, So there wasn't a massive amount of thought around when it came to what academic degree I was going to do. It was just something that I enjoyed doing and was quite good at. So that started, gosh, way back in, oh, my word, 1993, um, and spent four years there, mm-hmm. during during which time I spent one year over in, in Paris, mm-hmm. uh, teaching French in a, a state school. Mm-hmm. I then returned post-degree to, to Paris, mm-hmm. where I took another role with a state school, again teaching English, mm-hmm. which I thoroughly enjoyed. With my father being a school teacher, he actively encouraged me not to pursue that as a career. Really? Um, yeah, he didn't was, want you to follow in his footsteps. He didn't. I think he he'd got to the point in his career. He was getting towards the end of his career, and yeah. it had changed a lot. And he'd lost a lot of the passion for um, teaching children because he was spending a lot more time filling in forms mm-hmm. and writing reports, and wasn't doing what the job had been when he originally started. So he put me off. Uh, he, I, I love working with kids, but um, and in fact, training has become 
a big part of what I do mm-hmm. as part of my role here. Mm. I still really enjoy taking people who don't know a massive amount and, and providing them with the, uh, the skills and the knowledge and then seeing them fly. Yeah, that's so rewarding, yeah, isn't it? really very yeah, much so. Really, really helping people to grow. So although I've moved out of the, um, the educational sector and, 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 and into the commercial sector, mm-hmm. I still use uh, a lot of the skills that I built up during that, that time. And then after that, so you moved, how did you make this transition from teaching into financial services? Because <laughs> that's, that's, that's unusual, isn't it? What, what prompted the I'd, change? I'd like to say that it was um, very well planned. Mm. But what happened, um, as often happens with, uh, with new graduates, is that I, I, I applied for a, a short-term contract role. Um, when I was working in Paris and um, there was a, an American-owned finance business who had a, an office of about 20 people in, in, in Paris. Uh, I applied for a temporal with them mm-hmm. and was very quickly offered a uh, permanent position. So I worked with them probably for about 12 months, largely in a, a sales capacity, mm-hmm. until I was uh, approached by one of their competitors to, uh, to work for them in their London office. Mm-hmm. Um, so I returned back to the UK um, I accepted the role and was counter-offered uh-huh. against my better judgment and stuck with the, uh, with the counter-offer and, and, and went to work <laughs> for my existing business over in, in London. Ah. Um, and despite what I now coach people on mm-hmm. uh, in terms of dealing with counter-offers, mm-hmm. um, I you know, ignored all of that and um, <laughs> I stayed do with them. do as I do, do as I yeah, say. Absolutely. <laughs> I stayed with them and actually worked. I stayed with them for five years in mm-hmm. the uh, London office yeah. and, and grew a team of... Uh, of people now coming from the UK as a teacher mm-hmm. moving to Paris teaching English to French students yes. in secondary school and then moving into the financial services uh, area it must have been you know, you would have been pretty young and it yep. must have been so much fun working and living in Paris because that's so many people's dream and it must have been quite a buzz what was it like living in Paris Oh, it was lovely. I mean, uh, coming from the area I do in the, in the UK, which is very much the, the country, mm. um, the bright lights, uh, big city life was mm. something that was very new to me. And I, uh, I made the absolute most of it during the time I was there. Lived with uh, French people, worked with French people for the most part. So, so I was you're forced fluent in to speak. I am fluent in yeah. French. Please don't ask me to speak it now. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I forced myself into that situation where I had to learn um, the language and live and breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, the language for the first 12 months I was there. I didn't actually come back to the UK in all that time. I loved it. I got a great um, taste for French food and French wine. And mm. it was and also uh, so interesting because being in France um, compared with growing up in the UK, yep. there's that cultural difference too. And I'm just thinking, you know, like the cultural difference between the UK and then in France and working in the European office mm-hmm. and then moving to Australia, you know, years later... You must really understand the differences and the little nuances between, you know, like even though you know, people might speak English, yes. just the way that they act and react, you know, especially Aussies are quite different too. Would yeah, have been quite an interesting, interesting journey, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, uh, one of the one of the things that sticks in my mind a lot from my time in France um, and the way that people work, there was just a huge amount of red tape. Mm. Everything required multiple sign-off. Um, there was a lot of waiting regularly contending around the time I was there regularly contending with um, strikes which mm-hmm. had immediate impact on your ability to get into work because the metros weren't running or mm-hmm. um, to be able to do your work because you were relying on deliveries and the truck drivers were striking this week mm-hmm. when I was working in the school we regularly both the teachers and uh, the students went on strike on mm-hmm. a regular basis it's oh, something so that's very frustrating and I, it's, it's how they get things done it's uh, very very different when I moved back to the UK yeah. um, 
it uh, it was it was it was an interesting time. It was still very early in my career, so I didn't um, have much of a point of reference. Mm. Um, it was the first corporate job I'd done. I really enjoyed it. Looking back, it was mm. uh, I was lucky to get the role I did when I was yeah. when I was so young, and it, it certainly led me on to. Um, so it sounds like you didn't really have a plan, Paul. There was certainly no plan. I don't think I, I... But all the experiences that you had, I'm just thinking, you know, as a teacher, yep. before going into financial services, moving country, and then, you know, being in a sales role, before mm-hmm. moving into a leadership role back in London, it, it all, it's all a lot to do with communication, you know, and leading individuals and being able to express yourself very, very clearly. Because then when you were in London, how did you get from London to Australia? Okay, so I, I moved to London to work for the uh, for the same business mm. um, and quickly grew into a management mm-hmm. role. So I was running a team of, of people there mm. selling financial solutions yeah. to, to a varied client base. I did that role probably for around four or five years, and then I was hitting the ripe old age of, of twenty nine and decided no, I was not having 29. a bit of, a, <laughs> a bit of an early midlife crisis, and um, decided I wanted to go uh, travelling around the world. I'd bought my first um, flat in London and had found somebody who was willing to rent it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got my working holiday visa and planned a round the world trip. Um, Australia was the second stop on that on that trip. And I didn't get any further. Wow, so much for around the world. Yep. So, And you couldn't really go much further than Australia. No. And uh, so getting down here, you realised, what, what was it that appealed to you about Australia? Um, oh, when I first came here, um, having lived in London for the five years prior, everything here was clean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fresh, new, uh-huh. people were happy. Yeah. Um, the, the weather certainly helped mm, yeah, I think the weather is a big a big factor yeah. isn't it yeah. yeah it really made a big difference mm. um, and making sales call getting into a mm-hmm. recruitment role and um, um, making sales calls to potential mm. new clients um, and being called mate on the second phone call and mm. people being really willing to to speak to and engage with me mm. was eye-opening it was um, so far removed from anything I've experienced in the in the UK it was a much more down-to-earth way of mm-hmm. working which I think suits me a lot more yeah. and that, that's that cultural difference isn't yeah. it you know because be, being in a sales role or in a sales capacity and then um i guess it must have been quite a hard slog in the uk initially yeah, I, because you know people aren't quite so open maybe it's because of the cold i don't yeah. know i mean it's just you know brits and i'm half english myself so i, I know i can i can be a bit stuffy at times so you, being in a sales role, so you must have found it quite challenging in the UK. And then when you came over here, and then being in recruitment and and developing, you know, like relationships so easily, yeah. must have been an eye opener. Yeah, it's, it, mm. and it was really satisfying to. Mm. Um, now I, I moved over here in t- two thousand five mm. when the market was very different to, mm. to what it's like currently. Mm. Companies were crying out for talent, and mm. it was re- they were really struggling to find good people. Mm. So. In hindsight, I think my experience of business development when I first moved here was probably slightly skewed by the fact that people mm. desperately needed what we had to mm. offer. Mm. Um, I just thought it was down to my skill and personality, <laughs> uh, opening all the I'm doors. Sure but it, it was had a, a, <laughs> had a part to play as well. <laughs> uh, but, it, you know, it was every other phone call we were, we were able to get um, uh, an opportunity to go out mm. and present to, yeah. to a client. And the, the way that Australians engage... It, the, the whole down-to-earth demeanour of most Aussies mm-hmm. that I worked with um, is something that I've, I've really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. It's not I, I didn't like the suited and booted, stuffy approach that a lot of the London businesses I worked with had, mm-hmm. and I had quite a lot of success quite quickly here. Mm-hmm. I do think the market had a, a lot to do with that, but um, 
you know, I took it and ran with it. That's good. And so, and so you enjoyed your time as a recruiter and you've sort of worked your way up. Yes. Because now is Managing Director of Accountability and you're leading this team. And every time I've come into this office, I've just noticed, and I was saying to you earlier before we started, interview that everyone's so friendly they all seem so happy they're all just beaming and I'm thinking well I've worked in recruitment before and it's not always that sort of atmosphere <laughs> so you've created a really inclusive culture um, where it looks like everyone enjoys coming in here which is unusual for a sales type organization you know within recruitment yeah, because is. you do have your KPIs to meet you've got your targets to meet and sometimes it can be quite a struggle yeah. so what's what 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 is it about accountability that makes everyone so happy to be here um, I think it's part of I mean, we're part of a part of a wider group, the, mm. the ambition group, and mm. Nick Woodworth and Paul Lyons, who set uh, the group up originally, had a very clear idea of the type of people that they wanted working here and the type mm. of environment they wanted to create. I came on board in two thousand five, and even though the people themselves have changed mm-hmm. over the last eleven years, mm. the type of people we hire has been very similar. Mm-hmm. Our, our main values mm-hmm. um, are passion, resourcefulness integrity, drive and enjoyment Mm -hmm. and the enjoyment thing is really key for me. I want to make sure that people are coming in and enjoying the for for candidates coming in and meeting with us that they enjoy the interaction they have with us that our clients enjoy the relationship they have with us and for the the staff here on site that they enjoy coming into work every day in what can be a really high pressured um, work environment fairly challenging at Mm -hmm. times You've got to be able to smile. Yeah, um, it's really, it's really. Yeah, if you don't have a sense of humour, it just it's not going to work, is it? No. But I think that's the thing because we spend what seventy five, eighty percent of our lives working. Mm-hmm. If you don't leap out of bed in the morning and think, "Great, can't wait to get there," or at least I'm really looking forward to seeing the people that I work with, yeah. as well as the job function. It's got to be a good combination. Yeah, I think so. that's what we keep people here for quite a long time, yeah. and I think that's um, it's a lot to do with the, mm-hmm. the people that we get, and, the, and the, that's the, unusual. Unusual in recruitment. Absolutely, mm. um, I think we've been we've been very lucky to to attract the people that we've attracted, mm. um, and it's you know in an industry that does have quite a high turnover of mm-hmm. staff, we've done particularly well at hanging on to uh, the good ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so now recruitment. I have so many clients going through transition, looking for jobs, and they don't really know the best way to approach recruiters. So you, being MD of accountability, <laughs> are the perfect person to give us the real lowdown on how do we work with recruiters, why are some recruiters so difficult to uh, get in contact with, so many of my clients complain that recruiters never return phone calls and all that sort Mm -hmm. of thing, so can you just lift lift the veil of of confusion so people know? So first of all, what's the best way to approach a recruitment consultant or a recruitment consultancy? Um, There are probably a few ways. Um, We, we of course, get a a lot of people approach us through um, direct ad applications for roles, live roles that we have, um, but that only accounts for a small part of um, a small part of our sourcing um, yeah. of candidates. We get particularly across the business support space, we mm-hmm. get quite a lot of people referred through. Mm-hmm. So I think if you if you were looking for if you're actively looking for a role, mm-hmm. absolutely send your application through. Follow up with a phone call with the mm-hmm. with the agency to introduce phone yourself. Important. Phone calls really yep. important mm-hmm. um, to make you stand out from the from the crowd, mm-hmm. but. Over and above that, if you've worked with somebody who you know is engaged with an agency elsewhere, get them to refer you in. Mm-hmm. If they're a good candidate themselves, they tend to know good people. Yeah. Um, and again, it will put you to the top of the pile. If you mm-hmm. if you imagine, if I advertise the role and I get 300 applications overnight, mm. um, the people I'm likely to look at are those who've maybe taken the effort to, mm-hmm. to pick up the phone, to check that their application's been received, 
clearly if all 300 do that, I'm not going to be able to get hold of everybody. <laughs> um, I think one of the important things to remember is that as an agency, we, as much as candidates are our product effectively, we're working for clients. Mm. Uh, it's the clients who pay the bill mm-hmm. um, and we need to make sure we're giving the clients exactly what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to do that, we see quite a lot of candidates come mm-hmm. through the door and we're not going to be able to place every single one of them into mm-hmm. work. And you um, can't magic up a role that's going to be just can't. the right fit because I would imagine you, you work with your clients, they give you a brief, they say... Okay, and, and you focus on uh, finance and office support professionals. Correct. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So, so they say, OK, we need someone with this personality, these qualifications, this sort of experience. If you give them someone completely random, then your reputation goes out the window and they may or may not work. So you need to have someone who actually is quite a good match to their requirements, isn't yeah. it? And so uh, you can imagine we, if we have 150 people apply for a role and we, we're expected to produce a shortlist of three or four people there are a lot of people who through that process are going to be disappointed Um, what's important for me is that everybody who has interaction with us as a business regardless of whether we secure them a role or not Mm -hmm. has an enjoyable experience when they come in Mm -hmm. Um, and that even though we don't find them a a role at the end that that they've enjoyed the connection they've had Mm -hmm. Um, I've I've had a number of clients who have been unsuccessful candidates. Mm-hmm. So they've been, come to us as a candidate. We haven't mm-hmm. been able to get them the role they wanted, but they've enjoyed the interaction so much mm-hmm. they then have used us mm-hmm. um, further down the line as a So they like the client. way, you, the integrity with which you work. And, and so with, with your um, team members and all the yeah. recruiters who work here, is it mandated that they must return phone calls? or I mean, what happens? Because so many of my clients, when they work with other recruitment yeah. agencies as well, it, it, it's like, you know, I try and get through and I can never get through and I just want to get some feedback. Yeah. So what, what's what's the real reason behind um, recruiters not giving as much feedback as candidates might like? Um, I think, I mean, the, it, we typically can be fairly time poor, but mm. I don't think that's an excuse mm. um, for not calling back mm. and responding to, uh, to phone calls. It's my expectation if someone mm. leaves a message mm-hmm. that they get a call back, mm-hmm. um, that we don't leave people mm-hmm. hanging. That's refreshing because it doesn't always happen, you know, elsewhere. So that, that I, I guess that's all part of the culture here, yeah. where the uh, your recruiters they enjoy coming in. They do, you know, they have the time. You encourage them to develop the relationships. So I think that that's that's the key. That's the difference. So it sounds like people are not treated as a number here. No, absolutely not. And we've we've actually invested in um, in bringing in candidate focused consultants. Mm. So as well as our consultants that will work on. Mm-hmm. Um, live roles whose mm-hmm. job it is in part to develop new uh, business for us and go out and win new clients yeah. um, we've got consultants that are purely dedicated to candidate sourcing mm-hmm. um, and who remain in contact with the candidates for us and make sure there's a, a proper candidate care program in place mm-hmm. for anyone we have placed mm-hmm. and also as regular um, touch points with those people that as yet we haven't placed mm-hmm. um, I like that candidate care program how yeah. wonderful I don't think a lot of companies have that no, yeah so, so that that's that's the key I yeah. think to the you know the, the warm fuzzy experience that people, people I think get it, when they come here I think it's I think it's about having a long-term focus it's not just about this job now with this mm-hmm. candidate that I'm meeting today it's about mm-hmm. the relationship with both the client and the candidate mm-hmm. and where that may be in the next two years or yeah. five years we've, we've got candidates that we have placed through their career mm-hmm. each time they've needed a, a, a new move mm-hmm. they've come to us and we've moved them on to the next place mm-hmm. equally we've got clients we've had who've moved businesses but have taken us with them mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, and it, rather than going down and having to 
break down mm. new doors every day, surely it's better to look after the relationships that you've already got. Exactly. It's all yeah. to do with the relationship. And in that way, it's almost like inbound marketing. People will come to you rather yeah. than you having to pick up the phone and make a cold call, which is always so hard. <laughs> cold no, calling, no one's oh, it's just no. scary. Some people love it. Some people love it, but certainly I don't. So what are the, typically, what are the roles that you place yeah. Yeah. So across the um, accountability brands, um, we cover transactional uh, accounting, so accounts payable, receivable, mm-hmm. payroll, assistant accountant, grad accountant, mm-hmm. um, and then on the support side, it's more around your executive assistants, personal assistants, office managers, mm-hmm. reception, and general mm-hmm. admin staff. Mm-hmm. Outside of the accountability brand, there's the our sister company Ambition who cover qualified accounting mm-hmm. and various areas of, uh, of technology. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay, so technology, finance, office support, and then Watermark is part of part of your group too, yeah? Watermark is indeed mm-hmm. part of the group. Um, They're uh, an executive search firm, mm-hmm. um, and we work fairly separately to them, mm-hmm. given the nature of what, mm-hmm. of what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the rest of us, mm-hmm. um, for accountability and ambition, we're all yeah. here on, on, on site mm-hmm. in one location. So yeah. we've got offices in... in Brisbane and Melbourne as well, mm-hmm. um, and then overseas in KL, Singapore, Hong Kong, and London. Oh, fantastic! So global, global organisation, accountability and ambition. Um, so ambition is the global brand. Uh-huh. Accountability Australia is only yeah. in, in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I deliberately chose a place with uh, mm-hmm. with offices in different countries because, mm-hmm. uh, as you probably gathered, I like to move around. <laughs> but uh, you've been in Australia for quite a while now. Yeah. So, yeah. so what what are your plans, Paul? You enjoy it here. Um, is it one day in the distant future return to the UK, or, or have you made Australia your home now? Australia is my home. With with aging parents mm-hmm. and, and brothers and sisters having kids, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the pull of the UK is there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still holding out for that acting job or mm-hmm. uh, television presenting job. But, uh, <laughs> what would be the dream? What would be the dream? If you were going oh to gosh. choose, would you be on, what, The Bold and the Beautiful? Or <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got a better face for radio. Uh, I, If I could do my dream. So about three or four years ago, I, took, I moved into a part-time role here. Mm-hmm. I did four days a week and studied at um, Sydney Film School. Oh. Um, so making not not in front of the camera, behind mm-hmm. the camera, making mm-hmm. uh, making movies that I thoroughly enjoyed. So that um, film production is, is yeah, so production, course. direction, writing, uh, that mm-hmm. side of things. I'm I'm not massively technical when it comes to camera and lighting, but mm-hmm. um, thankfully there are a lot of people who were. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoyed that whole um, collaborative uh, environment where mm-hmm. you come up with a nugget of an idea and then you bring a group of people together to help build on that, and suddenly it takes on a a life of its own. Mm-hmm. If I could do that for a living, yeah, you'd love it. <laughs> uh, I would absolutely love it. But you require an awful lot of talent and mm. an awful lot of luck. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I have either of them. <laughs> uh, but it was, it was a very enjoyable hobby. But yeah, uh, yeah in, in a dream world, that's what I'd do. Well, you could create a really good video of accountability, couldn't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. a day in the life of a recruiter. I'm sure everyone would love to know That'd exactly what you guys do. It would be really <laughs> interesting. But having that outlet, the creative outlet, is so important too. So it's sounds like you've got really good balance in your career you've got your international experience you've transitioned into different industries you're now leading a fabulous group as md of, of accountability and you've got this creative outlet too so life is pretty good for life, Paul is, Darby. life is pretty good <laughs> well thank you so much it was really lovely finding out about you and the journey and what it's like you know to work with recruiters and how to approach recruiters as well so that's been really valuable is there anything you'd like to leave us with what would your top three tips for success as a candidate be? 
Oh, as a candidate. Top three tips for a candidate would be tailor your application to the specific role that you're applying for. And I don't necessarily mean in terms of a, a cover letter, mm-hmm. but don't be afraid of having a resume that speaks to different types of roles and mm-hmm. highlights relevant experience mm-hmm. in your background. Yep. Cast the net as widely as possible when you mm-hmm. are looking. Mm-hmm. Um, don't just go down the same route as everybody else. So mm-hmm. absolutely speak to agencies, but mm-hmm. use your own Use your own network. Mm-hmm. Um, networking. Networking is really important. Mm-hmm. It really is. And we run a number of functions mm-hmm. here where we bring together mm-hmm. clients or, or candidates mm-hmm. where they're able to freely network mm-hmm. oh. um, and really build up their... Um, you know, we may not always have the right role for you, mm-hmm. but somebody in our network might. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd really encourage people who are actively looking for work and serious about a career in a certain mm-hmm. area to create networks mm-hmm. um, across those areas. And you have regular networking events here too. We do. Um, Actually, I spoke at one last week. We have have wonderful speakers. Uh, uh, So, yeah, we do that across um, the business support area and the accounting support area and, and again, across the the qualified finance and and Mm -hmm. IT. Mm -hmm. So we're fairly active in Mm -hmm. in that space. Mm -hmm. It's about creating communities of of talent um, and, you know, ultimately great if we can place them ourselves. Mm -hmm. But um, I know we've created connections that have resulted in people finding work Mm -hmm. that hasn't necessarily been directly through us. But it's all part of that feel-good factor and the wonderful experience of accountability. So top three tips. First one is tailor your application, cover letter and resume, and obviously keywords are important, right? Second one is to cast the net wide and not only work with recruiters, but use your own network to develop those relationships. And what would be the third one? I'm putting you under the pump here. Well, so you under the think, pump. what's the next thing a candidate needs to do? In order to stand out from the crowd, the more flexible you are and the more open you are to mm-hmm. slightly different opportunities and maybe looking slightly outside the box that you mm-hmm. put yourself in mm-hmm. will make you, certainly when engaging with agencies, will make you more valuable. Mm-hmm. So if you're flexible around where you will work mm-hmm. or there's a bit of a buffer around the, the salary expectation, expectation or the, the type of work that you, you wanted to do, mm-hmm. you're going to be more more marketable more marketable absolutely yeah wonderful okay and I think the thing is is to be open you know with your with your recruitment consultant too I'm sure that would be important is to respond to messages from the recruiter (laughs) if they need to contact you it's probably quite urgent that they want want this role filled and if you're the perfect one you don't return the phone call you'll miss out on an opportunity because there will always be someone else ready to step up to the plate. Absolutely. The, yeah. the communication thing is, a, is an absolute mm-hmm. two-way street yeah. and it's highly frustrating when you've managed to secure an opportunity mm-hmm. for, for an interview for a candidate and you can't get hold of them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you're engaging with an agency, just keep those lines of communication open. Let them know what else you've got going on. If you're going to be gone in the next week, then mm-hmm. let your recruiter know so that they can do something with their clients to maybe push a process forward. Yeah. So that communication's key, and, and, yeah. and it's been key to my whole career, as you, as you pointed out, mm-hmm. and hopefully will uh, continue to. Mm-hmm. Mm, wonderful. And so we can find you at, what's the website? It is www.accountability.com.au, mm-hmm. um, or for the group, uh, it's at www.ambition.com. I'll put that in my show notes on my website. So if anyone would like to get in touch with accountability in Sydney, they can reach Paul. Cool. If you're calling through to accountability, absolutely Mm -hmm. ask for me. If you're calling through to ambition, Mm -hmm. um, there's a gentleman by the name of David Bamford who Mm -hmm. heads up that. David uh, Bamford. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. That was really fun chatting to you and everything that you've done. Do you want to say anything French before we go? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, way to put me on the spot. (laughs) 
Euh, bon, merci, euh, c'était euh, vachement bien. J'ai ai, ai beaucoup aimé euh, être avec toi cet après-midi. Et euh, bon courage. Oh my goodness, for someone who didn't want to say anything in French, suddenly it was awfully long. So, <laughs> so merci. <laughs> bye, Paul, thank you. All right, bye-bye, thank you. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com forward slash Jane Jackson Careers. There are over 180,000 book titles to choose, so give it a go and get your free audiobook today from audibletrial.com forward slash Jane Jackson Careers. You've been listening to Jane Jackson Careers. Sign up to receive regular career advice at janejacksoncoach.com. Thanks for joining me today. For affordable career help, please check out my career success program. I provide a unique blend of online and live career coaching to help you take control of every aspect of your career or career change. If you aren't aware where you want to be in your career, let's talk. Check it out at thecareersacademy.online. The links are in my show notes.